WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Lazowitz. And this week's guest is the writer of the upcoming Hawk Girl series from DC, as well as the OGN Galaxy The Prettiest Star and the DC Book of Pride, Jadzia Axelrod. Hello. Hello. So nice to be here. We are glad to have you. Um, so it's been just over a year since I talked to you at Philly Pride in 2020. Yeah, you ambushed uh, me. Indeed, I, you, you actually took the word. At a Pride right. Festival, when I was at my most vulnerable. <laughs> you actually, I will remove the word ambush that I had later on. <laughs> so uh, you beat me to it. It was great. Uh, it was great. <laughs> So, and also, so that is just about a year since Galaxy released. Uh, mm-hmm. How is Pride Month going for you this year? Oh, it's been great. Um, it's a the vibe is different this year because of all the anti-trans and anti-queer legislation that's been going on. So there's less of a celebration atmosphere than in Pride's previous. Uh, that said, I have gotten my celebration on and. Uh, Philly Pride was once again wonderful, and um, yeah, it's it's still a wonderful June. Well, glad to hear the latter part. The former is unfortunate. Indeed. Uh, but since your first appearance on the show was a con interview, we didn't mm-hmm. get to start with our usual icebreaker, so we'll do that now. Fantastic. Uh, what are some of the first comics you remember reading? Um, the first comics... Uh, the first comic that I ever read was an issue of The Flash uh, that uh, my father bought me at a garage sale. And I wanted it bad because it had The Flash on the cover. And he was my favorite character from the Super Friends cartoon show. Um, I had the action figure and everything. And so and I read that comic and I remember it because there's a sequence in it where Barry Allen has to be Barry Allen and The Flash at the same time. Uh, to prove that he's not a murderer. It's a whole thing. Don't worry about it. The important part is he has to be both the Flash and Barry Allen in the same room at the same time so that a woman will believe that Barry Allen is not a murderer. Um, So uh, he decides to run as fast as he can back and forth and take off the costume, put on a bathrobe, take off the bathrobe, put the costume back on, Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, um, and allowing the after image of his presence to allow him to literally talk to himself in front of this woman. Um, when I read that as a child, it blew my head open. Uh, it's illustrated in such a elegant way that you don't even question how ridiculous this is. It is something that could never be done. Like we've seen some amazing special effects in movies dealing with the flash and other characters who move very fast. And like, there's no way they could pull this off convincingly. Even the, the best special effects artists could not do this. It was, it's such a dumb idea, but it's rendered so elegantly and convincingly in ink and flat colors on newsprint that you're immediately there and transported and believing everything that's going on and like that absolutely cracked my head open and made me fall in love with the medium made me fall in love with superheroes 
just it all starts with that like those three panels on page 15 of a comic a flash comic book from like 19 something or other glorious comic book nonsense love it i do remember when they tried to recreate it it was just like it was like a robin williams movie from 1992 Uh, i think it was called mrs doubtfire didn't work quite as well (laughs) (laughs) oh boy but you're you're a philly gal jedzia yes the Phillies lost the World Series, the Eagles lost the Super Bowl, and the Sixers mm. got bounced out in the second round of the NBA playoffs. And yeah. that, that all sounds negative, but really it's the best Phillies been across the board in years. So my question to you is, which team do you think wow. actually goes all the way this year? I don't think it matters. Um, part of what we like is the struggle. Like mm. the success is is great. We love a success because that gives us a reason to party, obviously. And by party, I mean tear up the streets. But also Plan, failure gives grease us, poles, yes. Exactly. <laughs> failure also gives us a reason to tear up the streets. So really it's win-win. Um, <laughs> what's enjoyable, what's great about this town is if you don't follow sports closely, you can still get caught in the wave of enthusiasm or disappointment as things happen. And like that's always going to be true whether we're up or down. And I I, I love that. I love that about this town. So it it doesn't really matter because we're there for the ride, not mm-hmm. the destination. I like that. So back when I first interviewed you, you uh, talked about that initial swell of support for Galaxy and the reception, and now we're year on. Uh, how is that still feeling at this point? It's still incredible. It's still happening. Um, I still get messages from people whom... Uh, crack open a copy of Galaxy and feel seen for the first time in their lives. I still get messages from um, parents whose children carry this book around as a protective armor. Uh, messages from adults who wish they had seen this book earlier. It's it's absolutely a hit. We're going into a second printing, which is incredible for a character that didn't exist before this book. Um, And like people are still discovering it and still reading it. And it's just, it's amazing. Like I honestly thought um, I would have stopped getting messages and comments um, by now, but like, it just still keeps going strong. Um, (laughs) Someone on Twitter posted them taking their first dose of hormones off the cover of galaxy which is wild and uh, not something i would have expected but an image i will cherish (laughs) that is the single most unique social media positive social media story i have yeah ever heard i was gonna say i heard in a while but no that is that's 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 an all-timer yeah it's really been amazing how how this character and this book has really touched people and moved them and like I think I said on Thursday, I just wanted people to like it and um, that people have not just liked it, but embraced it has been really wonderful. But we'll we'll talk a little more about Galaxy as we get into the meat of tonight's conversation, because tonight 
Uh, we're going to be talking mostly about your upcoming Hawkgirl series. Hawkgirl! Woo! I'm very uh, excited. This has been a... so much fun to write, uh, so I'm excited to talk about it. Great. Uh, the first issue will be hitting in a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, for those out there who aren't in the know, uh, I'll read the solicitation copy for issue one. Soaring to new heights and battling new foes. Kendra Saunders, the winged warrior better known as Hawkgirl, has been one of the DCU's greatest heroes for a long time, serving as a member of both the Justice League and the Justice Society. But with the Justice League disbanded, Kendra decides she needs a fresh start and heads to Metropolis to begin a new life. That life is quickly interrupted by a mysterious villain with a powerful connection to the nth metal that makes up Hawkgirl's wings and weapons. So, to start with, how did this project come about? Did you pitch DC on Hawkgirl? Did they come to you asking for a pitch? Um, I didn't even have to pitch it. This is the the beauty of this. Like, um, I was contacted by DC and was like, if you want to do Hawkgirl, you can. Um, I didn't have to pitch it. They're like, whatever you want to do, I'm sure it'll be great. Um, the editor had read my DC um, Pride story with Alicia Yo and Batgirl and it's like I really liked how you um, introduced this character that a lot of people wouldn't know and might have uh, not understand her backstory and you did it very cleanly and beautifully and like we would like you to do something similar with Hot Girl and and bring her to people who don't may not know uh, everything about her and I was like I'm not going to say no to that. I've always loved the character. I used to read JSA back when it was coming out in the, the early aughts, I think. Uh, I think of that as a 90s book, but it wasn't. It wasn't early aughts. Yeah. And um, so I loved the character back then um, because she was the one who um, was always giving a middle finger to the old legend. Like, if you're telling um, Alan Scott, the Green Lantern, to shut up, old man, that's the easy way to my heart um and and i like alan scott but there's like this kind of worshiping that happens with these golden age characters and and it's fun to see someone who has no interest in that and i i love that um so yeah she's always been a favorite so the chance to like kind of give her the spotlight that she absolutely deserves was something i was not about to pass up. Um, so I, I sent in my outline for the first six issues and they're like, yeah, this is great. Go for it. Um, but it wasn't even like a pitch process. I didn't have to fight for it. I didn't anything. They, they handed it to me, which was amazing. And uh, I'm forever grateful for that because it's it's been so fun to write. Like everything I've ever loved about superheroes, I'm cramming into this story and it's just a joy. I don't think I've ever had more fun writing something. Yeah, I think of all of the surviving classic JSAers, Alan Scott is the one who you, you gotta have to give that the Shepherd old man because Jay Garrick is just a little too grandfatherly, and Ted Grant is you know your gruff uncle. Alan Scott's got the stodgy thing going. He yeah. Which is why I love the retcon of him being in the closet for so long because it explains the stiffness and the formality that he had for decades in like the modern era as like this man who was just 
so repressed and so afraid of showing his true self. And like when that retcon happened, I was like, well, now I love him because this is not only an explanation for why he was such a wooden board in the past, but also why it makes him this beautifully tragic character to have been had like had love and had um, a life that he was going to have no matter what the consequences in 1940s America and was there for it. And then to have that ripped away by, for all intents and purposes, the voice of God saying that he has a higher purpose now. Um, and so right back in the closet he goes, that's a, a heart-rendingly tragic story. So I can't help but love him now. But uh, 15 years ago or whatever, when I was reading JSA, I was like, yeah, yeah, that guy's a douche. <laughs> At the same time, I feel I feel like Wildcat is the old man who tells the other old men to shut up, old man. <laughs> yeah, but he was written, I don't know, like there's, there's a point where you write Wildcat and he's like, come here, son, let me tell you why you need to join the union. And there's also Wildcat who's like, women should be in the kitchen. And one of those feels more right to me, the former, than the latter. But I feel like the latter gets written a bunch. <laughs> Except when he's hanging out with Selena when... Yeah, well, that's why the former makes more sense. Yeah! See, the, the amount of time he spends with Selena and with Dinah, that's not the kind of guy he should be. Exactly. Exactly. We're on the same page here. I have a real soft spot for Wildcat. I've talked about it in the show before, but my grandfather was the first professional Jewish heavyweight boxer in America. Nice. Boxing Hall of Fame. Fought Joe Lewis. Got his <laughs> living ass handed to him by Joe Lewis, but it's still a matter of pride. Still, yeah. I mean, he's, he, he was in the ring. That counts. Mm -hmm. so, so Wildcat has a soft spot for me as the, the boxer. So in, in preparation for the series, uh, I had to ask, do you own or have you ever gotten to swing a mace? <laughs> um, well, I have a long-seated fascination with medieval weaponry. Uh, that is something that has followed me since childhood. Um hilariously like the the thing that started me was this wonderful book called arms and armor which is done by dk um who i now wrote for for the dc book of pride so uh there's a connection there to my life now i'm really am living out my my 10 year old fantasies in so many ways um so i'm familiar with maces i have a warhammer which is not a mace but close um, that a, a friend made for me. Um, so it's solid steel and it's intense and handcrafted. Um, and that's uh, with all my other swords and, and such and knives and a various collection of things that I've picked up from all sorts of places. Um, but a proper like morning star, I have not actually held. Um, but I have spent many, many hours staring at them in books and at uh, <laughs> the museum here in Philly and such. So I've done my research and I've held heavy weaponry, but not specifically a Morningstar. Well, I just I just Googled Warhammer because 
you, obviously the first thing that came to my head was the game with the miniatures. And uh, <laughs> no, these are badass and all purpose. They got they got a, a smashy end. They got a stabby end. Yeah, mine only has smashy ends, but it's it's <laughs> hefty and it's leather wrapped hilt. It's really nice. It's a beautiful piece. See, you don't play enough D and D, my friend. That is the D, the weapon that is a D twelve for damage. Possibly the only one. The only the cleric's weapon. weapon. Indeed. Okay, but I've played a shit ton of Final Fantasy, and you would think that would come up more. You're gonna have to pardon me on this one a little, sure. because the we have long determined the hardest thing about podcasting about comics is pronouncing names that you have only seen on the page. Uh. Did you have a hand in picking Amonke Nahuelpen? Anywhere near um, on that? I no, Amonke was picked by the editors. Um, and he does an amazing job. I'm so glad he was picked because his art is incredible. I tell him the most ridiculous things to draw, and he just takes it in stride. And gives it to me better than I imagined it. And I'm just in awe. Uh, just incredible. So we've talked about it a little, but specifically, this is Kendra Saunders, Hawk yes. Girl, and not Cheryl Thal, no. Hawk Woman. What makes Kendra? as engaging a character as the counterpart more readers are familiar with from Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, or more the general public is more aware of? I think she's more interesting than Shira. And I know a lot of people are huge Shira fans and with good reason, because Shira is great. But I think that Kendra is more interesting because for the longest time, Kendra was either in a flat-out denial or ambivalent of her hawkness, <laughs> for lack of a better term, her hawkosity, her hawk legacy. And so what that meant is that we got a better idea of Kendra, the character, um, rather than Hawk Girl, the latest in line of how many hawk girls before her. Um, that's one thing that's very interesting about the recent retcon that puts Kendra at the end of the line of succession of Hawk females that um, she is a very different person than Shira. And when you look at a lot of the flashbacks of various Hawk people, um, those are very similar to Shira. So what makes, so Kendra is different and that is always something that's been fascinating to me. And that's something that has been a lot of fun to play with in the book as like, who is Kendra beyond just being a hawk person? And why is she different? And how is she the same? And, and what has created this difference in this person? And what elements that we love to see a hawk girl do Anyway, so we're going to throw them in, like hitting a giant monster with a mace. Um, and also, she's always had a complex relationship with the legacy and like how she fits into it and who she is and what these past lives um, 
if these past these past lives have always seemed to be kind of a detriment until relatively recently. Um, she's made her peace with them in recent Justice League stories, which has been great. But I, I've always liked that she found them to be difficult and a burden and um, something that maybe she didn't necessarily want. And that's something that's interesting to me. Um, both like, what does that mean? What has her experience been to give her those opinions? And then also, um, how does that relate to the larger circumstance of the hawk mythology that has um, been done, um, especially in the Venetti Hawkman run? Like, what does that mean for Kendra's existence now? Um, and that's been so much fun to play with. There feels like there is something to her rejection of the legacy and the expectations that other ha others have put upon her because she is the the next slash last in line of this heroic legacy that everyone else is familiar with and expects her to just be the next link in this chain. Yeah, it's been fascinating to reread those old stories and reread them to look at them from Kendra's point of view. And it's just a series of men telling her she's not who she thinks she is. Like one right after another. Um, and that's, it's weird that that's a theme. <laughs> and uh, so it, it it is weird because she's, she's clearly her own person. And yet somebody, usually a man with wings, but not always, says, has an idea of who she is and tells her that she's not who she thinks she is and that she should be better than who she is. Um, and it's, it's very, there's an element of not necessarily grooming there, though that is a little bit, because in those early things, like Hawkman is like middle-aged, but, and she's 19 and it feels weird. Um, it did not feel weird when I originally read it, but looking back, it feels very weird now. Uh, but also this idea of like, she doesn't know who she is. She needs these men to tell her who she is. And that seems strange, right? Like looking back. And, and so we address that a little bit in this se series about her, her opinion of who she is, is, and her control over her own identity is um, something that she's fought to have and very much has now, which is great. This is treading about as close to spoiler territory as I'm going to get, but is there a direct appearance by or direct dealings with her relationship with Hawkman? I mean, you read the Vanetti Hawkman series, right? Yes. Yeah, like he's not going to show up. It's been a yeah, that is a it's been a while, but yeah, he's yeah. I mean, depending how you read the ending of that, he is either dead or living out his best life somewhere far away. See, I, he either died I, and went to heaven or he's having a heavenly existence somewhere else in space. I like, read it as the latter. Uh -huh. So the possibility of him popping up is always there. But 
that's, you... I, that's a val it's written in an ambiguous way but she asked me like that guy died <laughs> and then he got to live he got to go back to the 40s that was his heaven which fits um but also uh wild it was a wild ending it is ambiguous it's up to interpretation whether he is dead or whether he's far off into space living his best life he's not showing up in hot girl i'll say that who is ollie gonna have to argue with now he will find someone <laughs> well, yeah, of course because he's green arrow and that's what <laughs> right. he does so a, a little more with just this as an idea that mm-hmm. the hawks are of course best known in comic book circles as the black hole that all continuity goes to die. Uh Um, Are you going to spend much time dealing with that backstory or is this just like, yeah. I'm Well, I was told not to, number one. (laughs) It's like, that was the thing with coming in. It was like, you do not go get to go back to Egypt. You don't get to change anything in the past. And I was like, that's fine. That wasn't my plan, but I'm glad we talked about it in advance. So I know what you're looking for. Um, I am I am more interested in Kendra Saunders than I am Hawk Girl when it comes down to it. I feel like the Hawk Girl side of her has been explored. Uh, it's been explored in Justice League. It's been explored in Hawkman. It's been explored in Justice Society. I feel like we haven't really gotten into who Kendra is as much. So that was the unexplored territory that I was excited about tackling. Um, so... Um, finding out more about her growing up, her family, um, and why she is the person she is now um, is very interesting to me. And also as someone who like loves the character and has followed her for years, what happened in between um, her first appearance in JSA and her more recent Justice League appearances and how those are two very different characters and and some of that obviously is you know she died and then came back and all sorts of um, crossover world ending heebie-jeebies. But like to take that text, uh, to take the subtext as text and really explore how does this person who is a very particular type of person at nineteen and then a handfuls of years later is a very different person now like. What happened to her to do that? How how has her life led her in that direction? Has been really interesting for me to pull apart and uh, has been a lot, as I said, a lot of fun. At that same time, if you're not read all those stories, you won't be left behind. Um, the point of the book is not to do comics about comics and to explain various bits and pieces. Um, the point is to tell an engaging fun story and um you don't need to be familiar with her before reading this in order to read it like you can come in this cold i've written it with the expectation that some people are coming in cold all you need to know is she is a superhero has been a superhero for a while but is still a very young person that's it you got it you have a favorite non-hawks bit of ridiculous dc continuity Oh, I mean, uh, I do like that. Um, oh, what's his name? Connor Hawk. 
um, since we're talking about Green Arrow. I do like that he might have lost his virginity to a ghost. Um, <laughs> maybe? It might have been a ghost. It might not have been a ghost. It also might not have happened. It's unclear in the story. And it's something that occasionally is referred back to. And I love that. I love it. It's uh, it's a weird little one-off story that I'm still not sure what's going on in it. And that's something that uh, delights me to no end. Um, other weird non-hot continuity. See, I've been thinking a lot about hot continuity, so it's hard for me to switch gears. And I do like uh, you responded with Connor hot continuity. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> well, only because you brought up Green Arrow. If you hadn't brought up Green Arrow earlier, who knows what I would have picked. Let's see. I mean, I'm a, this is not necessarily a continuity thing, but I really love legacy characters. And I, I love, um, like, as much as the Silver Age guys are fun, and they are, I really like the idea that these are jobs that new people come in and take those titles of and do that. Um, and that's, so, like, I love Ryan Choi. I love, like we said, Connor Hawk and like all of these people who like take this, like my favorite Flash is Wally West. And that's because that's who was Flash when I was reading comics. So it's like, yeah, it's Wally. Um, but also like, I understand that maybe it's time for a new Flash to come in. And, and for, because I like that those characters are allowed to grow and change somewhat. And part of growing and changing means they're not superheroes anymore. And that's interesting to me. Um, so I guess that is a little continuity element there. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's fun to see. We kind of, DC kind of moved away from that. And it's fun to see them coming back to it in certain aspects. And I like that a lot. Yeah. Well, Wally, Wally West wasn't allowed to have a good time until like last year. <laughs> He did have a, there was the Mark Wade series, which I love and I love even more now mm -hmm. after becoming a parent where he is like bringing his kids along to superhero missions because they also had superpowers and they had them in a, like a little bubble, little speed force bubble. Those stories were fun and I, I liked them a lot and they didn't really catch on with readers and I understand why, but like it was, it was a bit that I always have a, a fondness for. So uh, I, I'm famously the DC Luddite of of myself and Matt. Uh, I, I've met, I've seen Kendra before in Dark Knight's Metal and a lot of what Scott Snyder uh, worked on around that period. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, I know Shaira from the Justice League and the Justice League Unlimited cartoons. And looking back on it, I feel like that version of the character was the Justice League equivalent of Daphne from Scooby-Doo that's sort of like child, you know, a lot of people's like, oh, I'm feeling things I didn't know I was supposed to be able to feel. That's something. Sure. <laughs> so that's me showing my ass for a second. <laughs> <laughs> the copy mentions a mysterious villain and as they are mm -hmm. mysterious, I'm not expecting you to talk about them. Uh, I can but, say their name now that we have revealed that. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, I'm sure I'm pronouncing it. Um, I came up with this. I should be able to pronounce it. <laughs> Again, comics. We only ever right? see the words. <laughs> uh, 
Vopacula. Vopacula? Vopacula. There we go. Vopacula is the main villain. She's great. She is a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, she's going to lead to a lot of problems. So you're working to build Kendra a Rose Gallery as the mm-hmm. Hawks have a an extensive but mostly at best B-list rogues gallery. So you're you're stepping away from your lion manes and fadeaway mans to, to something new. Yes. Uh, that was again in the brief. It was like no old villains, which I had no problem with because um, I think a lot of those villains are great, but I also think that especially with the Hawk characters, there's a desire to continue to go back to that well. And so we've seen a lot of great shadow thief stories we've seen some fun monocle stories like i feel like a lot of these characters have been these villains have been explored and explored well and like i don't need to add to that like that's fine and also again i like the idea of kendra having villains who are not connected to hawkman and to the hawkman legacy like they are part of her um rogues and her little area of the DC universe that she has to deal with. And this whole six issues is about setting that up and setting up where um, a lot of those villains are going to come from, which is very exciting. And it makes sense. If she's the one to break the cycle, then she should be the one to be allowed to have her own villains as well. Yeah. And again, if she's separate from Shayera and separate from Carter, it doesn't make sense for those villains to be things that she cares about um, because a lot of those villains are very tightly tied to those two characters. So they can have them. And it is my understanding that there's also going to be an adorable Corgi in the mix. There is. Um, Galaxy is joining the cast and with her comes um, not just uh, Argus, her adorable Corgi, um, but also Kat, her girlfriend from Galaxy of the Prettiest Star. So uh, that has been a lot of fun to write those characters again. They're older now um, because we wanted them, we wanted Galaxy to be about the same age as Kendra. Um, so she's not a teenager who doesn't know what she's doing. She is a um, woman in her early 20s who doesn't know what she's doing. And that's... <laughs> A nice vibe. She's gotten a lot of control over her powers, which has been a lot of fun because in in Galaxy, she was still learning about them and figuring them out. And in this, she knows what her powers can do, but that doesn't mean she knows how to be a superhero. And that is uh, why why she's such a great foil for Hawkgirl, who absolutely knows how to be a superhero, but has kind of lost touch with how to be a real person. And Galaxy absolutely can be a real person. She has a girlfriend. She has a dog. She has a life that doesn't involve hitting people. Um, But uh, so that contrast and that play back and forth of what these characters can offer each other has been a lot of fun. Was Galaxy something that bringing the Galaxy cast in, was that something that was in your head the minute you were given this assignment? Or was it something that was after you'd started working on it, it came to you as this is the time to do this. Uh, It was something that the story needed. Like in order for the story I wanted to tell, I needed a character who 
had a different personality than Kendra and also had energy um, manipulation powers. Uh, and so I had a list of other candidates if they didn't let me use Galaxy. Like I, this hole could have been filled by Stitch uh, very easily. Um, it wouldn't have been as fun to write because Galaxy is my girl. But I like I was prepared. Um, but it came out of the story. It was something that the story needed. And so to include her into that uh, was very organic. And it wasn't um, it wasn't me trying to force my characters into this story it was very much this story has a galaxy shaped hole and let's just put her in there um and everyone was real excited about it um it was a nice way to to bring these characters into the dcu proper and uh it's just been a blast i love the way uh, a man cage draws galaxy um so that she still looks like the same character Jess Taylor drew, but slightly translated. And I love that. So while I can't imagine it's more exciting than the publication of the original book, on a scale of just another Tuesday to, holy cow, I just created an original trans character for a book published by DC, how does writing the book that canonizes Galaxy in the DC universe rank? Uh, it's pretty incredible. Like, it's it's weird to me because I always felt like uh, Galaxy the Pretty Star is part of continuity. And people, I've told people that over and over again. <laughs> and I understand the confusion because a lot of the YA books are out of continuity and in their own little world. Um, but that was something that was very specifically done in the beginning. And there were actually more ties to the DC Universe proper and original drafts that were then edited out just so the book could stand on its own um but it is in the dcu it is canon as far as things go so like um everything that happened in galaxy the prettiest star has happened in the dc universe six years ago whatever that means in comic book time but it does at the very least clear up something that people have asked me when Galaxy talks about idolizing Superman, is she idolizing Clark Kent or John Kent? It's Clark, because that happened in the past. So now we know for sure. Um, but it was an it was an appropriate question uh, at the time. But yeah, uh, so always it's always been in the DCU in my head. This is really cool though, because there is something different about writing a superhero floppy and knowing that it's gonna come out in a comic book store and like just seeing the image of the cover with my name up in the corner has been blowing my mind like right under the the date indica with the little uh mace logo so it's just it's really i don't think i'm going to be able to handle it when i actually see it in a store um i'm i'm actually not going to be near a comic book store on the day it comes out um i'm on vacation in the beach which is probably good um so hopefully it'll still be in stores when i come back um but it'll it'll be wild it's wild that it's happening it's wild i like every time i see new art i'm just blown away that it, it is happening at all and that I've been given a lot of leeway with this book, which has been wonderful, um, just to tell the story that I want to tell. And so I don't feel like anything 
important has been compromised as far as, especially with the Galaxy cast. Um, everything I've been wanting to do with them has been um, my choice, which has been great. Um, I did have a subplot with Kat that I had to cut just because 20 pages is not a lot of space. Uh, and, <laughs> and to also throw in a fight scene and an opening and then an ending and like all this stuff. And it's like, I guess Kat's subplot is going because I need that page. Um, but all of that has been my my decision and that's been wonderful. Um, so this is truly a, a nice exploration of these characters, especially now that they're older, which is wild because I never thought they were going to age past 16. If I got to write more of them, I thought it was just going to be the YA books. But now here they are, young adults, and uh, it does feel weird and wonderful. I'm so, I'm sorry, Matt. <laughs> we we interrupt this these proceedings for a very important local question. Uh, did I did I hear you say correctly? You're going down the shore. Um, I'm actually going to a beach in Virginia with oh, okay. uh, my wife's family. So oh, very nice. Okay, yeah. <laughs> All right, never mind. We're veering back out of Jersey Shore territory. <laughs> I'll probably hit the shore sometime this summer, but not during that time. So I take it you have the stories in mind that bridge the gap in between. Oh, absolutely. Pretty, okay. Yeah. Like we could talk if you want to do about what happens to Taylor in college and that kind of stuff, which, which I have sort of like broadly mapped out and I'm happy to delve into. Should anyone ask, like if we get a, um, a galaxy ongoing shoot, we're going to mine that stuff. But <laughs> Uh, yeah, like I know what's happened to her in very broad strokes. Uh, for example, like um, she and Kat broke up when they found they went to different colleges, so they couldn't make a long distance relationship work. So they decided to separate. They reunited after graduation. And it's like, oh, it's like we never split apart. Um, let's move to Metropolis together, like we always talked about. And so here they are in Metropolis. Um with hot girls so stuff like that like i i have mapped out um but uh i, ha I don't have like a, a whole novel or anything that's just sitting there so but i could hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right write your editors folks uh, for, for that book um so we also have a little bit of time to talk about uh, the DC Book of Pride. Yes. The uh, DK guidebook to DC's LGBTQ plus characters. Mm -hmm. How did that assignment wind up on your table? Uh, I have a reputation for being a huge nerd, I guess. <laughs> this is definitely like um, the editor at the book reproached me and sent me an email and said, hey, you were recommended as someone who has a passion for these characters and already knows a lot about them. And would you like to research even more? And I was like, do I ever? That sounds great. Uh, and it was, it was, a. I wrote that last summer and it was just a, a blast to read all these old comics with these characters and re-familiarize myself with some of them and like learn new things about ones that I, I didn't, have a lot of familiarity with and um, just create new 
little paper babies that I now love forever. So was was there anyone in there that was completely like, oh, that is a completely new character to me? I was not familiar with the Blue Snowman, and now they're one of my favorites. Uh, they're a weird little goblin person. Um, well, I should clarify. They normally present as a beautiful uh, scientist woman, but their supervillain identity is either a weird little old man who hits people in the back of the head with a wrench or a robo mecha suit. Um, and uh, they recently were um, a story written uh, written by Crystal Frazier. I forget who did the art. The art is so fun. Um, and they, it is revealed to them that they might be genderqueer, which explains a lot about this character's history. It's one of those things where we take the subtext to make it text. And um, rereading those old Wonder Woman stories with this just vicious little goblin. <laughs> and they wormed their way into my heart. And now I love them because they're the worst. Uh, just um, violent and craven and everything you would want in a villain. Uh, but I can't help but, but love them because they're so weird. Uh, so that was a character I didn't know anything about. And then reading it was like, oh, this is the best. Um, that That's probably the biggest one. Um, I knew uh, Natasha Irons existed, but I hadn't really done a whole lot of reading into her. Um, and then when I did, I was like, oh, this character is also great. She's a delight. Um, so there's a bunch of characters like that that I like knew existed and um, we're so happy to learn more. And then there's a handful that's like, I don't even know who this is. And then digging in was like, ah, oh, they're the best. And then there's others like Alan Scott, like we said, where my opinion was completely turned around researching. Now, Matt, I just saw you paging through the book just then. Were you looking for any more... Uh... I was trying to remember the name of the the one character in here who I was like, I know I read this character's one appearance because it was in a bat book. But oh, was I had, it Arunia? Yes. I love yes. Arunia. Who only has appeared, I think, the once. Yes. But they're great. Yeah, I, I don't know like, why they haven't appeared more. They're wonderful. Yeah, just reading it's, your it's, entry. Yeah, I was like, oh, wait, I remember this character now, but Boy, that was the single appearance character. They have a great backstory of being an, a Bollywood stunt person and they have shape-changing powers and they don't have a fixed idea idea of gender. It's like, why has this character not shown up a million times? I, I do not know. Um, but uh, but I, I think, like when we were making a list of characters who had to be in this book, like I was like, I got to put a Runya in there. Ah, I love it. You know, but 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 seriously, you know, this is one of those DK encyclopedia, which I feel like for a certain generation was a lot of people's entryway into comics. Mm -hmm. You know, not unlike the the Marvel trading cards, the Batman, the X-Men cartoons from my old ass. And and you know, the fact that there is enough more than enough apparently more than enough queer characters to to fill one of these books in, in 2023. I mean, that's we could do two more volumes. Um, 
and have and still have characters left over like there's so many queer characters in the dcu which is amazing uh when you consider how um long dc held the comics code authority stamp on their Mm -hmm. covers uh but that these characters were still there and like a a lot of it was nudge nudge wink wink Mm -hmm. and like you know what's going on here right right Uh, they're more than roommates but (laughs) um yeah it's great that there's so many and um there's a lot of characters that i wish were in the book that we like i didn't choose how long it was if it was me it would have been all 200 um but in the end i think we got a really good selection of characters who are doing stuff now and also noteworthy characters from the past who people should know about like the tasmanian devil hasn't been in a lot of stuff recently but he is the first out gay justice league member and that counts for something dated one of the one of the innumerable starmans me some Starmans. Yeah, um, that Starman got around, didn't he? Oh, yeah, McCall. Oh, boy, did he ever. McCall's a bit of a slut. I think we can Pit. all say that. Pit. Aliens, you know? Different Pit. ideas of sexuality than we do. Good for them. Right? Uh, so, you know, you've mentioned a couple, but are what characters, you know, other than probably Galaxy, who you would love to see everywhere, yeah. do you want to, would you, from the book, would you love to see showing up more regularly i mean obviously the next one i'm going to say is Alicia yo who i fell in love with after doing the uh pride story um so i think she needs to be in, in more stuff because i think she has a great perspective that a lot of the other bat characters don't coming from an activist background um and i think that could really be useful to a lot of stories um and be very interesting um who else that needs to be in there more? We mentioned Arunia. Um I'm really excited that they're doing a Alan Scott book now that's going to explore uh his history and also his future. That seems great. Um well, I have to get out my copy and page through it now. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I mean a lot of the characters in there are in a lot of stuff like Constantine um, is a great character and he's always around. Um, and, and I found out researching this, that he was the first uh, queer character to DC character to be out 1992 yeah. said that he had boyfriends, um, which is incredible. And of course it had to happen because that was a vertigo book. And so it wouldn't have happened. I don't think those had the code authority on them. Um, but it's still neat that he's like the first. That that's wild to me. And and to be bisexual and be the first. Like that's so often the B is forgotten. Uh, so that's fun. Um I really like Victoria October. I think it's sad that she doesn't show up anymore because she's a hoot and a half. Um I know a lot of trans women who are like her and that they don't care what you think of them, but we'll make absolutely sure that you know what she thinks of you. Um, so like, that's that's a character that I, I, I like a lot. 
We don't see Tasmanian Devil enough. Just, I'm just going to say it. Uh, I think Catman deserves a larger platform than he's been given. Um, the same with um, Porcelain. Like those two from Secret Six are just such great characters. And I'd like to see more of them in anything. I'm glad that Natasha Irons is going to be having a lead role in Steelworks because she's great. Um, she and Tracy 13 are absolutely the wrong people for each other, <laughs> which I love. Um, like I, I've, a lot of my friends talk about these characters and like, oh, I just want them to be happy. And it's like, I do not. I do not want them to be happy. I want them to have messy, horrible relationships because that's what I like reading. So yes, let's bring Nat and Tracy back together so they can break up again. Let's do that. Let's have uh, Kate, Kane, and... Um, Anyone? Renee, Montoya, and like have them have horrible, horrible, angry arguments at each other again, please. Um, just... Yeah, I love that Kate Kane is a horrible girlfriend. She's just the worst. Like, she's a great superhero. She's a bad girlfriend. And, like, that's just a, a really nice character touch that I like. And giving Kate a good relationship feels like something that should happen to someone else. Like, that's a Batgirl story, not a Batwoman story. Oh, man. Uh Jezia, this has been a fantastic time. Final question as we release you back into the world. How can people mm -hmm. follow you online and keep up with uh, Hawkgirl and DC Book of Pride and everything else that you got going on? Um, <laughs> uh, my response to this normally is like, don't. But because um, <laughs> I'm so I'm so out of social media now because um, it's all falling apart and it's not as fun as it used to be. But I am on Twitter at Planet X. I am on Instagram at Planet X. Those are easy things to remember. Um, by all means, follow me there. Uh, I have a newsletter that you can, it's um, Planet X at Tiny Letter. So it's like tinyletter.com slash Planet X. And you can subscribe to that for fun updates and things. Um, I'm on TikTok at Planet X Girl, if that's your thing. I barely post on there. So maybe don't need to do that. Um, but yeah, and then jedziaaxelrod.com is, uh, the website and it's got links to all of that stuff. Plus more, if you, uh, are into that, I need to redo that site though. It's got a lot of stuff on it. <laughs> and if you were looking for specific things, maybe it might be hard to find. So at some point, uh, it'll get an upgrade, but it will still have the same thing, which is jedziaaxelrod.com. Um, that's where to find me. Um, but yeah, definitely subscribe to the newsletter. Um, and, um, yeah. <laughs> All right, Jetsia, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. This has been a hoot. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, where you can find this podcast, along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom, and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and our bud Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shout-outs on the podcast, 
and a free comic in the mail for my collection. A $2 donation gets you a Pete Wisdom Hot Claw sticker designed by Kevin Newburn. A $3 donation gets you access to our bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom. A $4 donation gets you access to Our Son Pete and the sticker. A $25 donation lets you plug your crowdfunded or creator-owned comic in a 60-second spot. And a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis, Robert Secundus, Liz Large, and Will Nevin from Comics XF, Carla Pacheco, Mike Sagawa, and Azabah Fangirl, a.k.a. The Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQ Comics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF, assuming Twitter still works. And until next week, remember, somewhere out there, there's a Batman comic where all the characters simply cannot stop saying the word boner. W-N-Q-A.